Uh, let us turn in the Word of God to the book of Psalms. We're turning to the book of Psalms and to the Psalm number 34. If you want to select one psalm to help you along life's journey, well, this would be a very good psalm to go to. There are other psalms as well, but this is a, a marvelous psalm. I learned it in Sunday school, and the words have always remained with me. Psalm 34, a psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, who drove him away and departed. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto him and were lightened and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. O fear the Lord, ye is saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Come, ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open unto their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that have a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. He keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate." Amen. We know that God will add his own blessing to the reading of his inspired and infallible word. Let us seek the Lord for prayer. Father in heaven, we come into your holy presence in the name of our Savior. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you for your precious word, and we pray you would speak to us tonight through your word and through your truth. We pray that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, would be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Tonight, we're going to think upon the words of verse 11. Come, ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Come, ye children hearken unto me. This is a psalm of instruction. Indeed, the very structure of the psalm argues for instruction. 
This is one of the acrostic psalms. That means that the psalm follows through the Hebrew alphabet. And every line in the Hebrew language of this psalm, every line, it begins with a, a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And it is designed in that way. And this is not the only psalm that is structured in this way. Indeed, it's not the only one of the, it's, it's not the only poetic portion of Scripture that's structured in this way. We also have uh, cases of this in Lamentations. In fact, Lamentations is very famously structured in this way. And what was the reason for that? It, it was to remember. So that when you were taught the psalm, you could remember by going through the Hebrew alphabet in your mind. You see, the Bible was taught for instruction. The Bible was taught that, that we might learn. And it's one of the most important things that we do for our children is that we teach them to memorize the Word of God. And the value of having God's Word in your mind when you're young, it never leaves. It never leaves. And I see this over and over, where the elderly are concerned. Perhaps someone suffering from the ravages of dementia, a dear saint of God, and yet the knowledge of the Scripture will still be there. And the things that were learned in Sunday school will still be there in the heart and the mind, giving comfort in the final stages of life. The importance of Having God's Word as our instructor and as our teacher. C.H. Spurgeon said that this psalm is divided into two sections. The first section is all about praise. In verses 1 to 10, they are about praise. It begins with praise. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Verse 3, O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name together. And then the second part of the psalm, which begins at verse 11 here, is about teaching. And David makes this appeal. Come, ye children, hearken unto me. Listen, I have something to teach you. It is the fear of the Lord. The importance of being instructed by the Word of God. And this is not merely a message for the young. It's a message for, for all of us. And yet it does have particular application for the young. But then in another sense, we are all just children. And so let us consider these words in the light of the whole psalm. Because we're going to look at them as they fit in with the whole psalm. And hear what God would have us to say about Christian instruction. Come, ye children. In the first place, there is the need for instruction. It is evident that David is making this appeal because there are a people here who need to be taught. There is a need for instruction. And David is conscious of this. He is the teacher, and he's bringing God's truth. And it reminds us of something 
really, really important that the church is to be a place of learning. We come to church that we might be taught, that we might be taught the Word of God. Now, there are two aspects to the teaching that you hear from the pulpit. The first aspect relates to the question, what does the Bible mean? What does this passage mean? What does this verse mean? What does this word mean? What does this mean? And when we talk about the meaning, we talk about the context, we talk about the, the words, we talk about the history, we talk about the doctrine, we talk about the theology, we deal with the context. What does this mean? And it's very important that we know this. And that's one of the reasons why we as Christians should be reading the Bible ourselves. Why we should be spending time every day to read God's Word. It's a habit and it's more than a habit. It ought to be a way of life because a habit can become something very formal just to do it for the sake of it. If we ever read God's Word just for the sake of reading God's Word, just to tick it off and say, I've read my verses for today, we've got it wrong. We read that we might learn, that we might know what the Bible means. And it is so important for all of us in our lives, and it's so important for our young people that they have a, a firm basis of biblical knowledge. Because we live in a society today where there's many children, young people, they don't go to Sunday school. They don't go to church. And that demographic is growing. Sadly, it's growing. And there are so many, and they have little knowledge of the Scriptures, what the Bible teaches. And we talked this morning about Romans chapter 10, and faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And people can only come to faith whenever they hear God's Word, and whenever they know about what happened in Genesis, that God created the heavens and the earth, and God called out Abraham after that great flood, and, and there was... Isaac, and there was Jacob, and there was Joseph, and then there was Moses, and the establishment of Israel as a nation, and, and there was the Ten Commandments, and the importance of the Ten Commandments. There were the sacrifices, the importance of those sacrifices. All of these things, we need to know them, but above all, we need to know about the life of Christ and the person of Christ, who came, who lived, who died, who rose again. These are basic Bible facts that we need to know that we need to teach, we need to reinforce continually. And there is a need for this instruction. But whenever we teach God's Word, there is a need not only for us to know what the Bible is in terms of the facts, the teaching, the doctrine, but there is also a need for us to answer another question. Not only what does this mean, but what does this mean to me? And now it gets very personal and we call this application. Application is wherever we take the teachings of Scripture and we bring it into modern life, we bring it into everyday life, we bring it into our circumstances now, our lives now. What does it mean to me? Does this teach me that my life needs to be changed? And if my life needs to be changed, how does it need to be changed? Where does it need to be changed? We need to have an open ear to your word, being willing to be transformed by the word. 
It's all very well having the facts. The Bible says that the devils also believe and tremble. The devil is not an atheist. Satan is not an atheist. Satan knows there's a God. He believes there's a God. Satan knows there is a person called Jesus Christ who rose again. He knows all of that. But yet, Satan is lost. He's damned in his sins. So it's not enough just to know. To know is important. But there needs to be faith. There needs to be an acceptance of the truth, an acknowledgement of the truth. There is a need to be transformed by the truth. There is a need for our lives to be radically made different by the power of the book. Because this book is the most powerful book that ever was written because this book alone is the Word of God. There's no book like it. In the history of the world, history of humanity, there's no book like this book. No book has survived time like this book. No book has at its heart the story of a man called Jesus who lived, who died, who rose again. And as all that is true, then that's got to mean something to me. It's got to mean something to you. It's got to strike your heart. There is a need for this kind of instruction because this kind of instruction ultimately affects us where the very eternity is concerned because ultimately we're only but travelers through this veil of sorrows. But one day, life will be over. And it's appointed unto man once to die and after this, the judgment. But one day we will stand before God and eternity will dawn. And there is but two places in eternity. There is a heaven and there is a hell. Only two places. And so there is a need for this instruction that our lives may be transformed by the power of the grace of the gospel. Grace. We need to know that word grace. Grace is the gifts that God gives to us. Gifts that we don't deserve. Gifts that we have no right to. Gifts that by right we should never have. And yet God opens his hand and he gives. And this is forgiveness. This is peace with God through Jesus Christ. Have you this peace tonight? Does this mean anything to you? That Jesus died for you. Come, ye children. There is a need for instruction. And then there is the, the people to be instructed. The people are described here as the children. Come, ye children. There is an invitation. Come, ye children. Hearken, listen, listen unto me. Come, ye children. Now, there are physical children here in church tonight. And David is speaking to children. He's speaking to you. He's asking you to come and to listen. Church is not a place for older people. It's a place for older people and younger people. It's a place where the message should resonate with all. And here God's speaking to you. You're a child tonight. God's speaking to you. He's saying, come. Now, why would God be speaking to you? God is speaking to you because the Bible says that you need to be saved. Salvation isn't just for somebody who perhaps gets into teens or young adults or older. 
In fact, the majority of people that ever get saved are saved whenever they're your age, whenever they're young. And therefore, this is a word for you to listen to, to to take in, because the Lord wants to see you saved. And we want to see you saved. In the Gospel of Mark, and we already read this, Mark chapter 10, those words about suffer the little children to, to, to come unto me. Mark chapter 10 and, and the verse 13. And they brought young children to Jesus that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased. Now, I would not like to be in the wrong side of the Lord whenever he is displeased. And yet, many times I am because I don't get it right. I don't say things that are right all the time. The truth is we all sin, we all fail, we all need the rebuke of the Lord. But in this particular instance, we have the children being brought to Jesus. And it is clear that there are people here, mothers here, and they want to bring their children to Jesus. They want the children to be brought to Jesus that he might pray with them and he might bless them. They're interested enough in their children to bring their children to the Lord. What a blessedness it is that there are parents who believe in bringing their children to God's house, bringing their children to hear God's word. What a blessed thing that is. But the disciples, they didn't see it that way. They heard perhaps the children crying. They thought, well, they're just a nuisance. Jesus has better things to do than to be bothered with these women and children. That was their attitude. Jesus was so cross with them. And he said, Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. And then he said in verse 15, Verily or truly I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And now we're taught something very pertinent. When David's talking about children, yes, he is talking about children here, but he's talking to us all. Because without the childlike spirit, we cannot be saved. And without the childlike spirit, we cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. We know that little children are trusting. They put their entire trust into their parents' hands. There is a simplicity in the trust of a child. A child hasn't seen enough of the evils and the deceits of this world not to trust, not to question. There is a, an unquestioning spirit of, of trust in the child, particularly the trust of the child in the parent. And, and that's the faith of the child, trusting God, believing in God's Word implicitly and simply. And the Lord is saying, and He's saying to the, the disciples who are driving the children away, unless you're like the children, unless you have that simplicity of faith, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And so the question really comes to us. 
from the example of the Lord. The question really comes to us, whether we are young or whether we are old, have we come to God with childlike faith? Because we all are the people to be instructed. How often does God not use the word children to speak of his people generally? The Israelites were known as the children of Israel. Go through the the epistles of Paul, and you'll constantly discover the word children, children of the light. The word children is used. We are God's children. Those that are saved are God's children. It, it denotes the fact that God is a father, and he is that tender interest in us all. It also denotes our need to be cared for, need to be looked after, or need to be instructed, because we always need to be instructed. And so the question tonight is, these people to be instructed, they're the children. So whether you're a child of five or six or 10 or 11, or whether you're a teenager or whether you're an adult or whether you're even elderly, have you taken Christ as your Savior? Have you heard the instruction of God's Word? Have you acknowledged the Lord as your your one and only Savior. Have you come to Him? And tonight you can do this. You can come to the Lord. Come, ye children. Hearken unto me. Listen to God's Word. But then let's come along and think about the content of this instruction. So what is the content of the instruction? What is it particularly that David is teaching? The fear of the Lord. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. We live in a world dominated by fear. It's very interesting that David here talks about the fear of the Lord. Because the whole context of this psalm, the background to this psalm, David was a man in terrible fear. But it wasn't the fear of the Lord. It, it was the fear of circumstances, the fear of trouble, the fear of death even. He was consumed by fear. But it wasn't the fear of God. He had to learn to fear God, to be at peace. You look at the title of the psalm, a psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, who drove him away and he departed. He was fleeing from Saul. He ended up amongst the Philistines. Amongst the Philistines, he became terrified. He thought they would take his life, for he had been the great enemy of the Philistines. How he ever found himself amongst the Philistines is one of the great mysteries in the life of David. Then there are mysteries in the lives of us all. There are ways where we react and there are things we do, and they don't make logical sense. And fear can drive somebody to do dreadful things, terrible things. And David ended up in his fearful state amongst the Philistines. So what did he do? He pretended to be a madman. He pretended to be insane. The Bible actually describes how he faked the insanity. And at the end of the day, the Philistines, they drove him away. They did not take his life. David reflected upon all of that. He realized God had been merciful to him he said, I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears, whatever my fears were. He said, God 
delivered me. This poor man cried, he said in the verse 6, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Then he makes an appeal. The verse 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Happy is the person that trusts in God. In this fearful state, David was taught to fear God. And in fearing God, he came to know the goodness of God. He came to be at peace in the midst of his extremity. What are you afraid of tonight? What are you afraid of? What is it that really scares you? We all have fears in our hearts and our souls. What is it that scares you? What is it that keeps you awake at night? What is it that takes sleep from you? What is it that gets you down, makes you feel despondent? David was in a fearful place, but he was at peace because he learned in that childlike way to trust the one who was in control. And he learned to fear God. Now, fearing God isn't being terrified of God. Fearing God isn't being horrified at the very thought of God. It's not a servile fear. It's the fear of a child for the parent. It's a fear based on a relationship, on a loving relationship, on an endearing relationship. It's the fear of grieving God, of hurting God, of doing something against the name of God. It's the, the fear that we are accountable to God. We will stand before him one day, and so we want to please him. As a child, we want to please the parent. That's what it is to fear God. And that's what David is teaching here. And David is teaching us that we can only be happy in life whenever we fear God. It is said that this psalm, it has certain similarities to Solomon. The book of Proverbs, where Solomon talks about the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord as the beginning of wisdom. And perhaps Solomon had his father's thoughts in mind as he wrote the Proverbs. And certainly there are Proverbs in this psalm. We are at peace when we know the fear of God. We are wise indeed whenever we know the fear of God. And so you, you look at some of the things that David says here. The verse 13, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking guile. Don't be deceitful with your lips. Depart from evil. Don't go seeking evil in life. Seek peace and pursue it. Verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open unto their cry. Isn't that a comfort? Whenever we fear God, whenever we know God, when we cry unto him, he'll never turn away from us. Verse 18 says, The Lord is nigh unto them that have a broken heart, and saveth such as be of the contrite spirit. Broken hearts and broken lives. The world is full of them. But here is one that draws nigh to the broken hearted. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. This world is not a trouble-free world for the Christian. But there is peace in the midst of the storm. And there is assurance. The fear of God brings assurance. We need to be sure. We need to know. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants. 
and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. Redeemeth, he redeems us. That word redeem, it reminds me of a price. It actually means to pay a price. It reminds me of the blood of Jesus Christ, the price of our redemption. Christ died on the cross and he shed his blood that we might be redeemed. It was a, a perfect payment. He paid it all. You know, if Jesus had paid the price for all of our sins except one, we would be lost forever. He either paid the price for all of our sins or he didn't pay the price at all. On that cross, he said, it is finished. The content of this instruction, the fear of God. And it brings us to the cross. It brings us to peace. It brings us to Christ. It brings us to the cross. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. Have you seen the light? Are you a child of God? Have you heard God's word? Are you trusting in him? Taste and see that the Lord is good. No one that has ever come to the Lord, giving their heart to Christ, has regretted that very thing. Let's bow for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the word of God. We pray you would write it upon every heart, upon every soul. Each one know what it is to fear God and to be at peace in a wicked world. For Christ's sake, amen.